Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Supply Chain Talk. Today we're going to be talking about using AI for supply chain decision making and I've got three really expert guests to join me on that. First of all, as usual, we're going to be talking about a topical news article uh, around the holiday season. Um, so we'll, we'll have a discussion about that before moving to the main uh, topic. Uh, as always, we invite comments and questions in the um, panel on the right, and um, we'll try and uh, answer as many of those as we can. And uh, as always, we'll be awarding a supply chain talk mug to the contribution we find most valuable. So, uh, so do get, get those contributions going. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce my three guests. And the first of those is Chris Condon, who's Chief Executive Officer of Aircon AI. Um, Chris has got um, over 25 years of experience in freight forwarding, expediting and shipping. And, um, and I think it's best summarised, uh, Chris, by your LinkedIn slogan of people helping people solve logistical challenges with epic results. So uh, that's a great, uh, a great summary of what you do. Um, Aircon itself is a technology focused air freight consolidation company. And its differentiator is that it delivers gateway services at scale to the freight forwarding community. But in particular, relevant to today's uh, discussion, it uses algorithms to pool different types of shipments. So I'm sure Chris can, uh, can bring that experience to bear later on. My second guess is Tom Hassel, who's head of CPG and manufacturing data science at Peak. Um, Peak, to explain, is a UK-based, um, uh, I guess, sort of software development solutions company um, who um, apply a broad range of machine learning techniques to many different problems in all sectors. And um, so full of brainy people, of which Tom is no exception because he has a, uh, a PhD in uh, astrophysics from the University of Manchester. Um, and uh, Tom is applying that uh, superb expertise in um, currently in, in quite a few areas. So some of his current projects include using machine learning to optimize fashion warehouses, um, using it in logistics planning for a consumer goods company, and also sourcing suppliers for an industrial manufacturer. So, you know, a great, a great example of the variety um, of, of areas where AI can be applied. Um, and, and Tom yesterday said that most people don't understand what they want. So uh, again, I think there'll be some interesting uh, thoughts from, from Tom coming up. And then finally, uh, my third guest is Brandon Kennedy, who's General Manager of Europe for Airspace. Brandon's been at Airspace for six years now, um, and he has moved from California to his European role in Amsterdam last year. Um, he's had long experience in shipping and um, as an example of the sort of really time critical shipping that, that he, he's worked in and, and, and uh, overseen, uh, that includes things like organ donations being shipped. So you can imagine uh, the, the sensitivity of, of, uh, of, um, of maintaining a, a, an on time and uh, in condition shipment in that case. And uh, Airspace, he connects together the different functions of sales, operations and the constant innovation of the company's technology. And, and to explain, Airspace is a leading provider of global time-critical logistics that uses AI and machine learning to identify the best shipping routes. So we've got some um, really real expertise there. So uh, welcome all three of you. Um, so let's turn now, um, first of all, before we get to the main topic, to um, the uh, news article, which is focusing really on a survey in the US of five to 600 top retailers. Um, and it talks about basically, you know, supply chain issues really are, are on their mind at the moment. Um, it really paints quite a sort of apocalyptic picture 
um, in the US um, market of saying, you know, customer service is going to fail, they won't be able to satisfy all customers because of all the disruptions they're hitting. Um, they're having failing suppliers, you know, suppliers going into administration and so on. They've got overstocks, but at the same time, they've got out of stocks for some items. So generally painting a, a, a pretty a pretty gloomy picture, um, you know, stemming from COVID, you know, shipping disruptions, all the sort of things we've been hearing about, but it really seems to be coming to a fore um, this this um, holiday season. So I, I guess sort of turning first to you, Chris, I mean, is is that a picture you're you're seeing in the U.S.? Is it is it as bad as the article makes out? I I, I do believe it is uh, in the most cases, and and you know, we're talking about uh, you know right now there's there's rail strikes talks, there's longshoreman strikes talks, and um, and from an inventory standpoint, you know some some retailers have done a really good job of of managing that, and some haven't. So yeah, I, I would agree with the article. Um, it's pretty spot on. Okay, thank you, um, Tom. What, what, what's, what's your what's your UK perspective, or maybe from some of your clients further afield? I I'd say similar. Um, everything's just so up in the air at the moment. There's so much uncertainty, and and that's kind of the enemy of supply chains. Mm. Um, again, in the UK, we've got industrial action kind of happening all the time. Uh, we've got the yeah the Christmas rush. It's there's a, there's a lot of kind of potential for, for disruption. And I think um, we're in for, uh, uh, well, it could go either way. It could be fine. It could be a big problem, I think, is uh, I'll hedge my bets by saying that. Okay. No, thank you. And, and, and Brandon, I guess you, you've got the perspective now that you're, you, you, you live and work in Europe, but, but also um, obviously you're dealing with the US a lot. I mean, what, what's your perspective on it? Yeah, I, I just tend to agree. Um, and I'm going to step back and look from the consumer side. I don't know how many people went on and, and tried to shop Cyber Monday uh, or Black Friday deals and just seeing the limitation and capacity restrictions from there. I mean, I think uh, the writing's been on the wall for a while, right? We're finally starting to see some normalization uh, from a very versatile market coming out of COVID. And now we go into peak season where I don't think some of these major constraints have been solved. And now we go into the labor side that Chris just mentioned. I mean, it is across the globe. We're talking about possible strikes or organizations and unions that are already petitioning to uh, initiate a strike. And it's, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. I think we're kind of all on the edge of our seats like, OK, what's what's the next curveball that uh, can be thrown? And, and how are we going to use these amazing tools we've built over the last uh, couple of decades to kind of solve and also think about how it's going to uh, intercept kind of our 2023 and beyond ambitions. Right? Okay. Well, that's, that's a great lead in really to, to the sort of perhaps the second half of the article, which I didn't sort of summarize, but the second half of the article very much talks about you know, what are the, some of the solutions, what can retailers do about this? And, and some of the things being mentioned are just in case stock, you know, obviously very different to just in time stock. So just really pile up that stock so you can, you can make sure you can meet demand, um, expediting and rush shipping. So, um, can be expensive but again i guess just get that stock there in time because if it's late it's it's worthless it can be uh, and then also um you know kind of techniques like um dynamic pricing and, and and sort of dynamic markdown pricing as well so i guess some of these more relevant than others to to solving the problems kind of for the holiday season um chris do, do, do you think there's some of those which are, are particularly relevant and, and and practical to implement well, I definitely think there's some some things they need to implement um, or could be practical on all, on all sides of it. 
Um, I also think it depends on the size of the of the retailer or the of the of the manufacturer of those goods, right? Um, because of the, the the challenges that they have, you know, it, the season's over here pretty quick is really mm. the problem. So they they we react to everything, and that's where the you know the AI that we're doing is, is critical to be more proactive in all the all the things that we do. Okay. Tom, what, what, what would you be advising any of your clients if, if they came to you saying, what can we do to save Christmas? <laughs> I, th like, if, I, th I think um, it's all about business priorities to me. Mm. Um, lots of those things that you suggested will work. They'll just cost you lots of money and, and they'll increase your kind of supply chain costs and it's always a balance between having a lean supply chain that gets stuff done at the minimal cost versus having a supply chain that kind of meets all of your customer demand and, and stuff like just in case inventory, like that's great. It's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to tie yeah. up a lot of your inventory. Um, it's going to lead to slower and more inefficient processes. Um, it depends what's important for your business. And I think that's, mm. that's the key decision that businesses need to make. Okay. Yeah, it's the, old, the old saying of, you know, risk reward, uh, scenario and each business has to make their own decision based on their risk tolerance or their reward um, expectations absolutely no th thanks tom it's, it, it, it's, it, it is exactly what the balance of supply chain has always been about in a way you know, do you go for infinite service which means infinite stock or where do you sit that where do you accept that compromise brandon what, what, what what's your perspective on on some of those solutions yeah very similar i mean i think um any of those solutions can work, right? But it really depends on kind of proactive and prescriptive solution that they put into their supply chain because these things are great in theory. However, we got to understand the multiple layers that are underneath this that go into supporting the dire needs and differentiators for each one of these. If I want to go heavy on stock, what does that mean for my manufacturers? And now what does that mean for all of their tier one through tier three, whatever it might be suppliers that build that manufacturing line. And so I think it's, it's much bigger than just um, these major uh, manufacturers prescribing uh, any one of those solutions that they outlined. It's, it's really, how is that going to flow through their entire supply chain and manufacturing protocols in order for us to meet it? And it is interesting to see, I mean, from my perspective, obviously focusing in airspace, being in a time critical space, this uh, just in time aspect has been a, an interesting fluctuation. The capacity also isn't what it was two years ago, right? And so going to that and going to Chris's thing is it's it's kind of a, a bit of a risk reward gamble. Can yeah. we have the capacity? Do we have the tonnage and payload to be able to move those large goods just in time to support the needs, knowing that there is popular demand and and over exhaustion of uh, sea freight congestion? Right. Yeah. So that's really not a solution if it's just in time. And so how do we navigate that is, is where I see an uh, organization like ours kind of making making that proactive solution for them uh, and trying to just mitigate the risk. Yeah. OK, well, that, that, that leads nicely really to the, the wider topic then of of using AI for supply chain decision making. And, and the first sort of point we wanted to look at was you know simulations and scenario planning and, and, and forecasting likely outcomes. So so perhaps, you know, as a general thing, kind of what what sort of situations and decisions 
do you think AI can be particularly helpful for in the supply chain? I mean, I guess you're, you're Chris and, and Brandon, I suspect you're going to say you, the areas you focus on, but, but, I, but I'm interested to hear kind of, you know, do, 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 you, know, do you think that's really the, the, the top area to, to apply AI? So, so Chris, over to you on that one. Yeah, so I think it's, it's multiple, multiple levels, of course. I think as we, as we solve these problems, we take off smaller bites, all right? So Brandon and I are working on, on, uh, on a specific uh, lane, if you will. Mm. Um, we use it in, in a lot of different areas, but, but over time, all these AIs will kind of come together and, and be really, really powerful. And, and um, just like animation was in, in the video world, from watching Rudolph the Red News Reindeer from the 60s to the <laughs> automation now, right? It's 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 fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, uh, Tom. I mean, you you work in a, obviously across a very broad range of things. I mean, in term and, and and beyond supply chain as well, I think. But I mean, but in terms of supply chain, you know, scenario planning and simulations and so on, are, are there areas where you think AI and machine learning has has got particularly good value? I, I think anywhere where you've got a lot of data. And you're making kind of simple, boring decisions is is where AI comes in. Yeah, um, I think a lot of a lot of incorrect supply chain decisions are made by humans when they're, they're, there's overwhelming amounts of data, and it's like you don't have a time to get through. Mm. The, like you'll maybe look at the top thousand, the bottom thousand, and miss the the middle fifteen thousand. Uh, and AI is great at just handling those kind of standard business as usual use cases. Um, I think where humans come in is to kind of check the ones that are super important and make the kind of creative decisions knowing like uh, my supplier is going to have struggle to hit this target or you know extra context that the humans have that's that's how they kind of work in parallel mm. that, that's, that's 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 a really yeah, i love that such a you know, really great simple <laughs> explanation of a complex area but but in, in terms of sort of rule of thumb where where ai is particularly good and how how it's actually complements where people are particularly bad. So it's a, a great insight there. Thank you. And, and Brandon, in, in terms of sort of, you know, you, using AI and, and, and um, machine learning in, in your area of decision making, you know, is, is, is it particularly suited then to the sort of characteristics that Tom was mentioning about huge data sets and, and in a way a simple decision or, or is that simplifying it in your view? Yeah, piggybacking a lot on what Tom's saying, but we, we have a saying in our CTO is always like, let machines do what machine do, does best. Mm-hmm. and let people do what people do best. Machines are very, very good at parsing millions of lines of data to provide a prescriptive solution and, and output, right? Things that the human brain just aren't capable of doing. At least, let me speak for myself. My human brain is not capable of doing <laughs> I think many people uh, <laughs> and And so I think, you know, there's there's so much value that when you, when you bring this into the supply chain on known data sets, right? We know historical weather, traffic, you know, flight patterns, flight stats. We know these things, right? The human brain also, someone who's routed freight and been in this industry for a long time can say, you know, EWR and not picking on EWR, but as a congested airport during the holiday times, I know that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I can send a million lines of code over the last decade to our processor and it can actually read, adapt and predictively provide a solution that says, hey, you might want to look for alternatives because of X, Y, and Z. And that's really where we've seen the simulations drive a lot of value in the time critical space for airspace. Okay, that's really interesting. And I think the other thing is that it's really interesting you mentioned that, 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 that someone really experienced in a field 
might know all EWR, EWR as an airport is, is congested this time of year. But equally, people can also get very set in their ways. And maybe five years after EWR has got a new terminal and totally fixed the problems, they'll still say, oh, never use EWR. And they may be missing out on cost effective routes and so on because of, of a sort of, you know, a bias that they've had from a long time ago. And, and that kind of leads, I think, to what, one of the things I think maybe may, may um, Brandon, you were mentioning that uh, yesterday, that, that machine learning needs to measure its performance against a potential outcome, i.e. it needs to have a sort of a goal set. And, and I suppose in, in, you know, in your world, that, that's, that's relatively straightforward. I mean, it's perhaps starting with you, Brandon, on that one. So, so is there a very specific outcome that it's targeted to, to maximise? Is that cost or is it on time or is it a mix of these different things that, that you can set your algorithms to, to optimise and maximise performance against? Well, I think it's important there to to understand the, the the organization or company needs or wants, right? What is what is the north star that we want to optimize? And I think Tom was mentioning it yesterday. Like, we need to understand as an organization what is our what is our north star, and how do we want to mature our algorithms to drive more success when it comes to the machine learning. Um, for us, what's you know, it's m- machine learning and AI is just fancy way to talk about data modeling. Right. And so being able to build those subset models that will support whatever the initiative will be uh, or is at that time for that organization is just so important. And that's kind of really where we've kind of diversified with all of our patents. We've gone multiple different directions. Sometimes it's optimizing for tonnage to drive GM. Other times it's trying to optimize for our customers who are in those very hairy situations. And how can we provide a faster delivery uh, for that organization? And how Mm -hmm. can we then mature or tighten up? Uh, our models to, you know, surface that to them to be able to make the necessary decisions. Okay, no, thank you. And, and Chris, I mean, you, I guess you are in a s- similar world. I mean, I know your companies aren't direct competitors, but but I mean, again, in your world, are, are, do you have a different goals depending on the customer? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a different goal per customer. We, 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 we have a, a standard that we go by in terms of time. And then cost is, is the driver. How do we reduce our total cost that meets the time requirements for that particular shipment um, on, a, on our product? I would agree with Brandon, right? You, you have to have, you know, what your North Star is and then, you know, what do you want to achieve um, to, to go after that? Um, because there's, again, there's so much data to Thomas point. There's so much data that, you know, we as humans is very difficult to, to comprehend all at once. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tom, how about you? I mean, do, do, do you have clients where, Cost it, or yeah, you know, yeah. What are the different goals that sometimes you, you you end up agreeing with your your clients is how the algorithms need to direct themselves. Uh, in in the world that we work in, uh, every customer has a different kind of goal. Like every business is different, uh, the data is always different, and the kind of priorities are different. Um, and and this is the controversial statement I made yesterday that you alluded to in the int- introduction. Is I think like. A lot of businesses um, either don't know or haven't communicated correctly um, which kind of order their priorities lie in. So, are they, do we, this quarter, are we aiming to maximize our revenue or do we want to kind of um, maximize our margins? Do we want to hit our inventory targets or do we want to maximize our availability? Mm. Um, these sorts of trade offs, um, like, Modeling is is relatively easy. Um, getting people to tell us what to model is is very challenging sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we've got the models to just plug in basically. And I, I think like a lot of the, the change management and kind of getting the AI embedded is, is understanding the priorities and how people want to consume that data. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, let's move to our second point now, which is around actually kind of really relates to sort of thinking of the goals that people have got um, when, when, we're, when we're developing, you know, AI and machine learning solutions. And, it, and it's then, how do you measure and maximize the return on investment of your AI decisions? So I suppose in a way it's saying, you know, look just how good are those decisions and how do you make them as, as good as you possibly can? So um, but, but perhaps, um, Chris, if we can start with you on this one. So, so I guess, you know, how, how do you, do you, do you how are you able to kind of measure the quality of the decisions? How do you know that a kind of a particular route that was chosen or a, or a you know freight the air freight solution that was that was chosen? How would you know that's better than any others? Yeah, so we do it in a couple different ways. Is you know we have some experts on our team that that that, that kind of old school pen and paper Excel um, type thing, and we measure that against the AI. We're 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 you know we're a startup, right? So we're measuring all you know every dollar, every cent is being measured. And then we're also looking at, um, again, from a manual standpoint, the expectation was X, and did we did we meet X? And, and we review that uh, weekly at this point um, to make sure that the decision making is uh, proper um, and expected uh, outcome is is what we're getting. Okay, Tom, in, in your case, I mean, again, it will vary, obviously, depending on every every project, every solution you, you come up with. But 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 are there ways that you can? I mean, do, do clients typically measure before they start? <laughs> and if they if they don't, how do you show you've made a difference? Uh, people always have data before we start. I think like that's that's the starting point is to have the data. You can always retrospectively measure. Um, what's important is to think about the way that you want to test before you start. So can we do an A-B test? Is that possible? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a model that we can use that kind of shows the behavior that would have happened uh, in the old world that we can compare the new behavior to? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's lots of ways to attack it, I think, um, but it's really important to think about that before you start. Make sure that you've got the data to do those tests before you start, and then um, once you start, the, the measuring and the tracking of the ROI is relatively simple because you're just kind of collecting the data and crunching some numbers. Mm, mm. Okay, thank you. And, and Brandon, in, in your case, it's an interesting point that Tom makes of sort of doing A-B tests. Do, do, when you win new clients, do they sometimes say, well, well, let's try you on a few routes or on a few kind of, you know, requirements and see how you do compared to what we thought, thought think we would have done? Or how, how, how do you tend to measure success for your clients? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, revenue dollars are a clear indicator, right, of, of ROI on, on that type of thing. But I think there's a good basis to, to look at there's internal and external ROI, right? And for us, when we go into these models and we build these aspects, is we understand what our desired output is, right? And then running A-B testing and being able to have something tangible, right? We start with regression tests and then we move into product. And now we actually do these releases and make sure that we can quantify the value add, whether it's it's OPEX, whether it's transit time, um, you know, and again, we have it operating our entire proprietary system, but it really depends if you're talking to internal, external stakeholders, but everything that we do and the time and energy we spend, we need to be able to quantify ROI. And the first thing is marking what that is and how you're going to manage it. And that's kind of where we focus. We, we're going to spend the time to build it. Let's make sure that we also know how to celebrate success and it varies by feature and by design. Okay. And, um, and I think, again, I think uh, Brandon, it was a point you were making yesterday about 
kind of you know how how do you continually improve the 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 algorithms and 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 you know you can use i guess sort of you know kind of failure can actually help you make adjustments to the platform i mean is that again perhaps just about you first of all brandon on that one is is that something you do do you, do you, are there ways you can see you know kind of i'm sure it's very rare but a time critical you know was you know very slightly late or kind of actually we saw that in the end a different route got got something else there quicker i mean do do you do you detect failures and 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 do they feed into the learning of the algorithms yeah that's that is exactly what we have patented in airspace so everything is is based on this ai and machine learning so it's not only us being able to prescript or prescribe through data analysis but also then understanding that our product and our our success is solely tech and, is not solely tech it's tech and team right so being able to mature our models based on the human input the delays the issues that arise and learn and be able to make these quick pivot changes is, is fundamental for our organization and we do that on a daily basis you know, I, I love and joke with with our executives uh, at our organization. I call uh, it job security that logistics is not perfect. You know, it doesn't matter how perfect of a plan you have, things happen, right? But the most important is how do we learn from that? How do we develop a path moving forward so we don't hit our head against the wall 10 times on the same discovery and then utilize that to enhance our modeling structure? Okay, no, thank you. And Tom, again, with, with your clients, I mean, it must be always a difficult thing. You know, do, do you get that problem where they say, oh, my God, it's not working. It's a disaster as you have your first initial sort of um, runs of, at, at something or, or, or do, you, do, you know, do you manage that, that, that process well and, and they, 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 they appreciate that you're going to get iterations and it, and it will get better and better pretty quickly? I, I think it's always important to have iterations. We'd obviously mm -hmm. like back test on, on anything before it goes into a live system. Um, so I think like using historical data is a really great way of testing that you've got something that, that is going to work. Um, mm. But then as soon as it goes live, there's obviously has to be a, a period of like kind of high level um, intensive. Let's let's make sure that this is is working correctly. Um, but I think that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, like in a lot of the businesses that I've spoken to, the visibility along the supply chain isn't brilliant. Mm. Um, and by, by doing these sorts of tests and having a view along the entire um, supply chain, you can kind of increase the communication. You can spot these bugs earlier, even if like this isn't necessarily like bugs in anything that we've made, but like errors that have happened in the supply chain. Uh, if you've got a higher level view, you can spot these things sooner. You can communicate faster. Uh, you can react more quickly. Um, mm. And ultimately you can identify problems before they kind of grow. Like, every supply chain i'm sure we'll have an example of a tiny problem that happened six weeks ago that's eventually grown into something that's kind of caused a multi-million pound stock out or something like that mm -hmm. and just having that view is is incredibly important and incredibly be beneficial in my experience yeah no, great thank you and essentially again you mentioned of course that process of iterations of, of of solutions that you develop and so on and i guess the other big benefit of that is picking up on brandon's point about you know it's tech and its team but I guess the risk of the tech is it's just like some weird black box developed by super brainy people like Tom and the customer kind can end up thinking, oh, well, I don't know. I either trust it or I don't. But but better that they understand the iterations and can remember, oh, yeah, when we change that parameter or that setting, it got much better. So it gives them that, that deeper understanding. So, so yeah, we, we, we mustn't forget that the people side of things and, and whether it's you know, the user, the customer, as, as well as uh, us as the uh, solution developers. 
yeah, that, that, that piece of kind of getting the business users to adopt the solution, making sure they understand the solution and even making sure like they, they feel that they've contributed to, to building that solution with you is really important because a model that isn't used is, is useless basically. Like if, yeah. if, you, if I make you a perfect AI model, uh, which, which allocates your stock around your network perfectly and the person that decides where stock should actually go just just ignores it and does his own thing or her own thing mm. like it's not it's not a useful model at all yeah no absolutely change, yeah change management is huge right and building building an outline and training for your team right no one likes change that's that's the human in us right we are stuck yeah. in ways but you can tom much smarter than i am i'm assuming i heard your your degree and and doing ai models right but like all that is great, but if you can't get the people on the front line to adapt, understand, and understand the why, most importantly, not just what it's doing, but why it's there, and build a path for them to be successful on it, you just spent a bunch of time, money, and energy on something that can't be adopted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it happens a lot, right? I mean, look at blockchain and you know, Maersk and uh, IBM, that's in the news now, right? It happens a lot by taking these big, big things and trying to uh, make them, you know, simple that's why i always say you know smaller bites is better right yeah absolutely and, and chris i mean we, we sort of haven't given you a chance to sort of to, to to comment on on that sort of you know how how your algorithms are learning and improving and obviously you're kind of as you say you know still still in somewhat startup mode i mean have, have are you going through lots of iterations and and, and so on to, to to constantly refine yeah, yeah uh, constantly uh if not daily for sure weekly and and it's mm -hmm. and our mode of transportation being air freight is you know our feedback is very quick right it, you know one to two days you know what's what's happening uh, mm -hmm. versus ocean or trucking uh, uh over the road so yeah, absolutely we, we have to look at it every day and we have to you know improve every day and fix things that happen because logistics is is complex yeah but that but even that's that's a really interesting insight the fact is that this is not well, we're going to work on it and then we'll go away for a month and then we'll release our next version. It, it is an absolutely continuous process of refinement day, day by day, pretty much. Yeah. OK, that's um, that's interesting insight there. And, and our third point is really, I suppose, it's sort of moving on to that sort of, you know, that that degree of adoption and trust. So so if an organization does adopt AI decision-making really fully, you know, what are the risks for organizations which use AI without human accountability and oversight? Um, now, before we get onto that, I think it's just, it's just sort of, it's related a little bit, but literally today, the, the BSI, British Standards Institute, um, sent out an email um, which basically said that the international standards community, i.e. BSI, in fact, has produced a draft standard uh, and and are today inviting public comment. So the BSI standard, and I, I won't read out the number of it, but the BSI standard specifies the requirements and provides guidance for establishing, implementing, maintaining, and continually improving an AI management system. So I think it's just it's just very timely that that that, that there there's an image of it that literally today, you know. That, you know, that it's, it's now gone from sort of proposal stage to actually a draft ready for public comment, you know, of an, an international standard in, in the area we're discussing. And I think that just shows, I guess, how mature the industry has got, that they, there's now enough to sort of get their hands around and define a standard and, and, and invite public comment. So uh, um, very timely. And I think it's just, I guess, relevant to, you know, 
I guess if people follow those standards, I'm sure some of those standards will be saying, <laughs> make sure there is some human accountability and oversight rather than trusting it 100%. And, and then a, a month later saying, hey, why have we got all this stock? Or <laughs> why have we spent a fortune on air freight <laughs> if you haven't got any controls at all? So um, sorry, a bit of a long introduction there. But um, but but I guess, Chris, over to you. I mean, what, 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 what are your thoughts on on, on the human accountability and oversight, you know, the degree to which that's needed and, and how you incorporate that. I, I think we, all, we always have to check, uh, you know, AI or, or our staff or whatnot. We always have to have oversight of what's going on in, in our business and, and whatnot. I think the, the, you know, the standard is kind of the first step of bringing all these, you know, intelligent people around the world as becoming one, um, you know, larger, um, solution for all these different types of problems that we we face day to day. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tom, again, when you work with clients, is is that an important part of the whole solution design about how it's monitored, how where you know how it doesn't make foolish decisions, how it it, it stays within an envelope in a way, and if anything's outside the envelope, it'll flag it and say, "I need human intervention here." Yeah, absolutely. I think like there's always going to be this element of learning to trust anything that's deployed in your supply chain. Uh, like a really good example of, of this is there used to be like elevator pilots. Uh, now, whenever you get into an elevator, you just press a button and it's fine. In the old, in the, in previously, like you wouldn't dream of getting on an elevator without a pilot. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a journey that you have to take people on. Um, mm. It's all about trust. It's all about making sure that people kind of understand what's happening and, and, and to the earlier point, like why it's doing what it's doing, making sure that they can kind of use it in an effective way um, and making sure that like you gain that trust and you, you earn that trust before you kind of set it on its way and, and let it take over the supply chain, if not the world. Yeah. I think it's important to always understand, you know, why we do these things it is for the benefits of humans, right? We're not doing these things for the benefits of just machines, right? So it, it's important. And the why is always the human part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've got a, we've got a somewhat cynical comment here from um, from Roman Butler, and we, we 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 like we like the cynical comment saying humans never like to be accountable. They're much. It's much easier to blame AI for messing up, <laughs> and the AI can't talk back. So I, I don't know. I think I think that's sometimes the case with management consultants, where they'll bring in the consultants to give them the bad news, and then they can blame the consultants for the, okay. for the bad news. I'm not sure if if that if that's true. I mean, have, Tom, have you seen any clients who have brought in AI really just thinking, you know, it's just such a, it's such an area of contention. Let's like, a, let's, let's make the computers make the decisions and it will almost, you know, may, maybe sort of de-escalate some decision-making. I mean, is that a valid reason sometimes? I don't think people bring it in specifically to, to blame it. Um, yeah. But I, like, I think every supply chain will have an example where something has gone wrong. The first thing that's ever blamed is, is the forecast. Like that's that's the standard scapegoat for any supply chain, um, and that's not that's rarely the case in my experience. Like the forecast is generally tends to be quite good. I think the key to getting around that is to make sure that you've got an explainable solution. So again, to the point to, to the point earlier, if if we can say it made this decision because this 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 variable uh, and this was the right decision, and we can show it in this way, uh, it's a lot easier to kind of avoid avoid the blame and, and yeah. point it back to where it yeah. belongs. 
Yeah, it's also important, you know, obviously a decision today may not be the right decision or it may be a wrong decision today, but it was the right decision six months ago or 12 months ago when the decision was actually made because supply chains have a very long tail, right? So, yeah, you know, we always look at the now, but the decision was made 12 months previous, right? And, and it's important to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, perhaps worth mentioning here, Brandon, we'll get to you in a sec. Mm -hmm. um, but it's perhaps worth mentioning here, actually, as well, personal experience I had, which actually wasn't with Tom. It was with one of Tom's colleagues about I don't know, four or five years ago now. And it was working with a tool hire uh, client. And the, and the tool hire client had used Peak to develop um, what was a pretty effective model, actually, for working out when to move stock around their different depots so that you had good availability, a, a, bit, a bit like Amazon are doing with their Ford kind of warehouses of, of putting the real fast movers and so on into warehouses in, in very local to the customer. So this was, this was in a way what, what, what I guess we were doing at Peak, uh, working with Peak um, for, the, for this particular client. But in early on, an interesting example of the AI making decisions, there was a lot of moving of stock around and, and, and you know, a, a branch, a depot would, would be told, OK, send this stock back to the central depot, central warehouse, because it's going to go to a, another depot. And then they'd be getting other stock back. And then the stock would just sit there for a few weeks. No one would rent it. And then it would go, go back to another branch. So there was all this moving around. And, and I think actually it was handled well, where instead of saying, oh, my God, the system's failing, it was the case, OK, some of these settings are too sensitive. We've got to kind of just desensitize it a little bit and not move stock on every tiny little signal and then make the movements a little bit less frequent, maybe larger movements. And then it settled down and, and really did improve availability. So it's just a you know, kind of share, sharing example there of the types of learning and iterations and adjustment that, that, uh, that you go through um, some, sometimes implementing uh, AI decision making. Um, Brandon, sorry, I haven't, haven't got around to you yet on, on, on this, this question about how do you sort of get that balance of, of human accountability and input uh, as well as letting the the, you know, the AI and, and the algorithms do a lot of the work for you? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. And I think uh, with the time critical, it's it's a little difficult for us. I, I don't, a uh, little bit of old dogs, new tricks, right, on, on getting people to fully buy in on that trust. And we talked about having that change management process. But I do think it's important to highlight, at least for our space specifically, is based on the technology that we're building and the data that we're collecting, we are shining a light into black box that many uh, organization and parts of the supply chain have never really truly exhaustively been researched, right? And so I think for the foreseeable future, it's constantly going to be a tug and pull between the tech and team in order for us to drive the data set that will make it uh, possible for us to go fully automated with AI and, and machine learning models. Um, and a, a simple example is that is we all know in the supply chain, when you hand it off, whether you're going a container on a boat or a, a carton to an aircraft, right? There is so much that transpires from the time the person that you hired and was responsible for it until it actually reaches a destination. How do we prescribe and actively wrap a AI model around that if we don't actually have the data to support what's happening, right? And that's that's kind of the space and what we are, are working hard to solve. And on, on every shipment, we're collecting up to 16,000 data points, wow. right? And, and with that, that's unheard of. Like hmm. if you ask the traditional, you know, we call them the freight dogs in this industry. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like six steps. You, <laughs> yeah. it, you pick it up. You, you know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. those are the things that we're really trying to shed light on, which we truly believe will revolutionize the supply chain space 
as you know, it, it was, it's for a long time, it's Pandora's box, right? Yeah. No one wanted to open it up. Like they don't really want to know the chaos that's going on behind the curtains. And that's where we really need to, as pioneers and leaders and all of us on this call need to spend the time and energy and uncover all these, these dark corners and realize how we can optimize or optimize this uh, supply chain space. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, though. We're, we're sort of you know, get, get not quite out of time yet, but, but that's a really interesting point when you're mentioning like, 16,000 data points on a shipment. But I mean, how do you, I mean, perhaps Tom might be one for you. How, how do you kind of usefully filter? Because it's, I mean, while all our systems can cope with just vast quantities of data, I mean, there is a limit, I guess. And if you've got, you know, thousands of shipments, 16,000 data points, you know, hundreds of parameters, I mean, how do you kind of make sense of that amount of data? Or do you have some very powerful techniques to kind of recognize what isn't value-added data and just sort of clean it and and, and, and keep out of those 16,000 points, maybe 500 points is still giving you a heck of a lot of data. So, so are, are there sort of, is that a particular challenge that you're seeing in, in terms of data at all? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a challenge. Um, a, lot of, a lot of businesses collect a lot of data now just for the sake of it. And I, I don't think that that is necessarily the right thing to do. Um, mm. Like, Brandon, I'm sure you are collecting those for a reason. I'm sure it's like when stuff is logged in and, and like there's lots of different layers there. Um, you'll find kinds of weird stuff in, in customer data if you if you look at it though. Like you'll find lots of things that are part filled dates or blanks that is, is just mm. taking up space and maybe like a, 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 an SAP configuration customization uh, that's not used properly or is only used half of the time. Uh, identifying that is like a really key part of the process and, and being able to just filter that out um, is really important. Uh, there's not a silver bullet that does it, I don't think. I, I, mm. It's it's graphed and it's working with, um, with businesses to understand like what is used in the decisions currently and what they think is missing from the process. Like I, I almost come at it from the, other, from the other direction, which is we ask how the decisions made today what they think is missing and then try and find that data in okay. the, the, the massive data set. That they Interesting. And, and Chris, I guess in, in your areas with air freight, I mean, I guess, are, are you seeing a problem where, where, for example, you know, with more and more kind of sensor solutions, they may have some sort of, you know, transponder tag, RFID, whatever it might be, you know, in an air, air freight kind of container or whatever it might be. And therefore it's just literally giving you a signal every minute of the day for, you know a 10-hour journey and suddenly you've got just you know not even every minute every second and you suddenly got these thousands of data points which are not necessarily value adding there's, there's definitely a lot of white noise in the you know in the data i i, I do think there's value in having the data in, in mm. most cases um because you know to brandon's point uh you know you look at five or six uh data points that are kind of standard in the in the in the movement but to really understand the change, you got to understand what are the other three or four in that 16,000 that will make a change to the five or six. Mm -hmm. right? um, so it's important to, to, to have it all, but to actually you know, hold out that white noise as much as you can to, 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 to meet your goal. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I, think, I think it goes back to the, I mean, all my Excel junkies can appreciate this, but it's like, <laughs> Bad data in is bad data out. That's right. Yeah. So most important is, is how do you get good data, clean data, and then where you go and you constrain it towards what's going to drive your models and, and team forward and, and focusing on that. It's, and that's 
my big takeaway always. And that's something that's stuck into me since, since schooling. It's like bad data in, bad data out. And it's like, now how do we optimize for that? What's good data? What does that mean for your organization? And that's something that you really need to exhaustively think about and make sure it outlined before you start building this process. Yeah. No, that's great, 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 great insight there. Um, so a, a final question then I've got, got for each of you. And, and actually, just before asking you, that, Roman earlier did make a, another good comment. So Roman, you're on a roll today. And he made a good comment, which is um, nothing, there's nothing more harmful to a business than an intelligent person stuck in a habit. Uh, ignorance is costly. So it's a great, great phrase there. Um, so so I guess with that, I mean, you know, we, we don't want good people being stuck in habits or or indeed we don't want good people skilled people just doing really repetitive decision making so so what would your advice be um you know for our audience when considering ai decision making um you know whether or not they're they're looking at kind of solutions like like uh, chris and, and brandon like 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 aircon and airspace or whether they're thinking about approaching an organization like peak saying oh could ai solve this problem for us so um chris what would what would your advice be to, to, to as a takeaway to anyone yeah i would always say you know start small right um okay. biggest bang for your buck risk reward um you know we, we we get caught up a lot of times in this this kind of pie in the sky uh mindset uh, but the reality is is that goal that we had five years from now you know has changed a thousand times um, start so start off small biggest bang for your buck um and go forward and and okay. and, take, and take the chance take the risk right I, okay I there's real value in that thank you chris tom how about you you've you've had lots of good insights there as to how you can build an ai solution effectively i think the biggest the biggest and best investment that you can make is is in time um at the start of the project when you're scoping out what you want the, the mm -hmm. ai solution to do uh, the clearer you can be with the scope, uh, articulating your problem and articulating the kind of desired end state, um, the the kind of quicker and easier it will be for you to get value from AI. Um, we often go around in this big circle where we kind of have this scope, we'll build something, and it's not quite what they had in mind, and then it kind of repeats. Um, mm. Clarity on scope is is kind of vital, I think. Great. Thank you, Tom. Good advice. And, and Brandon, fi finally from you. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot to a lot to say there. I'll try to be short. I think um, what's important is AI, machine learning, even API. It's very much treated as a buzzword. People are like, "Oh, we have to get AI," and it's like my my one word or one way of giving or one way of giving suggestion is, "What are you trying to solve? What's your end game? Your end state? Right?" And then from there, let's look at that as your big rock. What's the path that you need to go there? And can these types of mo modeling algorithms solve that for you? Can you eliminate human complexity by letting a machine do something that can do something that a human can't do and or better? And that's that's how I would look at it. What are you trying to solve? Can this actually drive value to that big rock or however you're whatever the problem is you're trying to solve? And if so, then you need to take the strategic strides like Tom mentioned and make sure that you clearly define that. Right. What, what is what is the outcome? It's not just this big rock, but what are the what are the checkpoints or the the touchdown points? Right. That you're going to go in and say, oh, this is successful. This is driving efficiency. This is making us more robust in X territory and, and focus on that. Right. Don't think it's going to solve everything tomorrow. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, excellent. Well, well, thank you, all three of you. Some, some, I think some, some really valuable insights and, and, and knowledge, knowledge you shared with us today. 
Um, in terms of um, the uh, the contributions, well, well, actually, I think Roman, I only picked out two of your comments, but but they were great comments. So thank you. So Roman, a supply chain talk mug will be on its way to you. And um, the next episode, uh, as a reminder, our next episode is next Wednesday, the same time, 4 p.m. Uh, UK time. And the subject is supply chain sustainability in 2023. So we're looking ahead to next year um, on supply chain sustainability. So I hope you'll uh, join us uh, next week at 4 p.m. on Wednesday, the 7th of December. And so finally, thank you again to my three excellent guests, Chris Condon, CEO of Aircon AI, Tom Hassel, Head of CPG and Manufacturing Data Science at Peak, and Brandon Kennedy, General Manager of Europe for Airspace. So thank you and hope to see you next week. Goodbye. Appreciate it. Thank you.